0: Welcome to Australian VBAC Stories, where your hosts,
1: Amy, Bromwyn, Caitlin and Georgia. This podcast is for you, the women and parents of Australia, to share your journey to vaginal birth after caesarean and to listen to those who have fought the path before. Whether you've had a VBAC or planned one, supported someone through one or simply want to learn more, we hope this will be a resource that inspires, informs and celebrates all unique experiences.
2: This podcast is produced on Darug and Gundangara country. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us today. Today we are talking to Anna about her experiences, planning her two VBACs, and we're looking forward to hearing all about what happened on those journeys. So Anna, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yes so my name's
0: Anna and I live with my husband and my three boys in the southwest of Perth so in a, a town called Bunbury. We've been, we only just moved to Bunbury but
2: yeah we're originally from Perth
0: and it's just me my husband Josh and three boys Loki,
2: Sam and Blake. Beautiful and yeah. what kind of ideas did you have about birth and becoming a mother before you conceived the first time? When I look back now, I it's like a totally different picture to what it was. At the
0: time, I was 22 when I had my first son, but all my life, all I wanted to do was be a mother. I just I wanted a baby so bad. I wanted to be the stay-at-home mom, So I would be that type of person that would sit and watch eight episodes of Mum Born Every Minute and <laughs> bore my eyes out. And, you know, I was just, yeah, couldn't wait, loved it. So when we finally fell pregnant... It was, just, oh, it was just amazing. And back then I thought, you know, the best thing to do would be to, you know, you'd paid for private health insurance, so to have your baby with a private obstetrician and that was the best thing you could possibly do. So I was actually part of a forum, Huggies. I don't know if they're still around anymore, but yeah. I joined their like trying to conceive forum when we first started trying. The, all the other WA mums that I was in a group with were all going through private obstetricians as well. So, you know, being 22 and young and naive, I was like, oh, well, if they're doing it, like I can't be like I'm any less of a person. So I have to go through a private obstetrician. And yeah, so that was just what I thought. And, you know, we'd paid for private health insurance because that's just what I thought you did. So yeah, my idea is where we go to the private obstetrician and I dreamt of a vaginal birth and then, yeah, little did I know it, yeah, wasn't going to go to plan, which was unfortunate, but I think I was so young. We'll, we'll touch on that journey.
2: yes we will I think there's definitely a big sense of that with like private obstetrics is you know it's something that you're paying for that is you know only accessible to a certain type of person who can afford it and therefore it must be better and you know obviously it's the right decision for some but for many of us (laughs) me included yeah it's uh, not always so do you want to tell us about the journey to your cesarean birth? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when we fell
0: pregnant, I went and saw just at my local GP because I had I had no idea about all the different models of care. All I knew was, yeah, you go private. He referred me on to a private obstetrician that practiced at one of the, the big private hospitals uh, south of Perth. I just like it because I was, I think, eight weeks pregnant at the time. I didn't realize you literally needed to call them and book it in as soon as you peed on the stick. So I could only get in with this one obstetrician. And I was like, great, who cares? I'm in. And we went and saw him. And I remember he was a, he was a very different man. He had a very strange sense of humor. Like he was lovely with his patients, but also very blunt, mm. funny and weird in, a, in the same way. And like I, I got along well with him, I thought. So that first appointment, I remember he said, he's like, you know, you've, you've got good sort of stature and build. You'll be easily be able to have a vaginal birth. And I was like, yes, awesome, that's all I want. <laughs> and, yeah, and so that, yeah, that was fine. We had it like all our appointments and I had a really low-risk pregnancy. You know, I was 22 with no health complications at all. Like I was a little bit chunky, I guess, but who isn't these days? So I thought I was fine and I actually I got a student midwife with me as well for the journey just to, she was like a referral from a friend yeah, the, the whole pregnancy was fine. Like I only struggle with migraines and, and that sort of thing. But what the turning point was, I was probably about 36 weeks pregnant and we started going to his obstetrician appointments and he started saying that my blood pressure was really high. And, of course, back then I was uneducated in like the medical side of things. So, you know, you put your trust in this person. I remembered the figures and he was saying that my blood pressure was like 135 over 85. And I was like, oh, God, like, I don't know. I just thought 120 over 80 was what it was supposed to be. Then he, you know, he sent me off for bloods. And the next appointment, was like a week after that, he um, did my blood pressure again and said it was like too high. So again, 135 over 85. And he put me on some hypertensives. And I thought this, like I took, I remember taking them for about three days and I just got the worst symptoms, like like ants were crawling on my head. And I thought this is not, like I just, I just didn't feel it was right. But and anyways, it was two days before I was 40 weeks pregnant. We went in for um, just a normal check-in and I was feeling fine again. I had no like pre symptoms or anything like that. I was just, you know, a first-time mum desperately wanting my baby. I remember going into that appointment and he did my blood pressure again and it was, I think, one about 137 over 85 again. And then he got my student midwife to do it as well. And she sort of came back with a a similar reading. And he turned around and he said to me, he goes, oh, I don't think I can care for you anymore if you don't consent for a cesarean.
2: Wow. And I was
0: like, what? And he goes, "Uh, I have to book you in for a cesarean. Like, I can't care for you anymore. If you don't book in, I can get you in for this Friday. And so we, we were there on the Wednesday. At the time, I was in like this state of shock. I was like, what? Oh, like sort of excited because obviously I wanted my baby so much. Um, and then as I was like starting to process, I was like, you know, but why? And then he was trying to say that I needed a Caesar on my 40 weeks because my blood pressure was too high. Um, so, again, I didn't have that education or that understanding of, you know, the mechanisms behind it and the reasons why, which now I know, but back then I didn't. So obviously consented. Um and we're excited, but I actually remember my husband and I, we drove there in separate cars. And so I was driving home, it was about a 45 minute drive home, and I just remembered crying driving home because I kept saying to myself, my body's failed. Like, mm-hmm. my body failed me. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't birth a baby. Like, you know, I'm sure everyone, a lot of people understand that, yeah, you want to have this baby so bad and you just, you see the, the pregnancy and the birth and the baby being put up on your chest, and that's that was my dream. All I wanted was that. So yeah, I just drove home and I bawled my eyes out. But again, I was so excited for my son. Um, so yeah, the sort of the days passed, and we went in for the Caesar on the Friday, um, and we were I think we were sixth or seventh on the list at this hospital, so we weren't seen till um, about lunchtime and like this annoys me but um we went in for our caesar and he came in and so he was the one that you know back at the well 14 weeks he told us we were having a boy and you know we'd had the discussion with him about names and all that so you sort of feel you've got that connection and i remember i was laying on the table and he came in and he had this big gold chain around his neck with like a nugget attached to it and he had gum in his mouth and he was like so what are we having today and I was
2: like,
0: Aww. I was like, a boy. And I was like, we know that like, you've discussed this. Mm. His name's Lachlan. But, you know, I just thought benefit of the doubt, he probably sees so many people. But I just thought at that moment, I was like, really don't know me.
2: Mm.
0: And so, look, the, the Caesar itself was wonderful. I cannot complain about the Caesar. You know, it was a great experience. Son, He was completely healthy. the The whole surgery went really well. I had no complications. Afterwards, I struggled a lot with this movement. We had a really tough, like, breastfeeding journey as well. And it took us a good couple of weeks. I, I only ended up breastfeeding Lachlan, my eldest, for six months. But yeah, I just spent so much time thinking that I was broken. And that, you know, it was like you just don't think about the future and you think, oh, God, does this mean I'm going to have to have seizures? Mm. And like, how many children am I going to have? Am I going to be limited to? So, I mean, once I had him, I'd sort of, I wasn't too upset about it because I was just so, I had my baby in my arms and I was so incredibly happy and in love with him that, you know, I could put past the Caesar side of things. So that was, that's the Caesar journey.
2: Yeah. And did your doctor discuss your next birth with you at all? Like what that might look like? No, so this
0: was the thing. We saw him on the operating theatre and then I didn't see him postnatally, not until six weeks after. He said to me when I got in there, he was like, oh, so everything went really well. I actually probably could have let you go 10 days post your due date. Oh. <laughs> I just
2: went. Like at that
0: point I saw rage and I just yeah. I was so angry at him and I like I never went back to him and I would never recommend yeah. him to anyone but yeah it was just I was so angry so so angry with him it's so kind like yeah it was that point that I thought like I know I was just a number or just a paycheck because what happened after that was we got like a statement of benefits from our health insurer that says how much obviously they were paid out for it and we worked out that if for the cesarean section, he got about $11,000 as opposed to lack of vaginal birth, where he would have only gotten about three or four. So I was like, oh, yeah. And, and that's when I started to understand how wrong the system was and how manipulative and, yeah, awful.
2: So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so after that experience, did you know that you wanted to have more kids? Oh, absolutely. I always wanted all the kids in the world. Yeah. I wanted 100.
0: <laughs> and, um, yeah, like I said, my dream was to just be a stay-at-home mum. And I was for about six months. And then, you know, your maternity leave finishes and yeah. bills start coming in. And I had an opportunity to go back for a couple of couple of days. So, I, um, yeah, I ended up just sort of going back to work. And it was only two days or something like that. And we had a few like little health struggles with, you know, the transition into daycare and that sort of thing. So we then thought after my son turned one, we would try for another baby, which we did. And we fell pregnant quickly, but unfortunately I had a miscarriage with that one. So that was, yeah, that was that was really traumatic. <laughs> like it was, um, I, like, I don't know, I don't know if this was the cause, but I, I remember I did so much education, you know, leading up to a second pregnancy that I thought, oh, I want to have a vaginal birth. Like, can I have a vaginal birth? I started reading about vaginal births, what clinics were available. And I literally had like a note section in my iPhone of questions to ask every single obstetrician. So I was so prepared So when I fell pregnant, I was literally ringing every single private obstetrician (laughs) or doctor around and going, I've just fallen pregnant. Do you support VBACs? And I did a Pilates class, like prenatal Pilates, because I thought need to get healthy or, you know, do all of that. And we did like one exercise involved rolling on your tummy. And I was only about five weeks at the time. But the next day after that class, like I wiped after going to the toilet and saw like this tiny grain of sand spot of red. And, like, immediately I was like, oh, no. Like, I just felt like something was wrong. And um, it, it took another four weeks before my HCG levels started dropping. And I, like, because every time you'd go in for a scan, they'd, they'd say, oh, you know, it's too early to pick up a heart rate. You know, your levels are still going up. So, you know, meanwhile, I was feeling so sick and I was so nauseous and I knew in my head something wasn't right. So, yeah, that was, I remember crying every single night for the four weeks five weeks and I remember I went into the GP and he gave me the results of my blood test and he said that the levels had finally started dropping and it went like I just started bawling my eyes out and I requested to be booked in for a DNC because I just I just wanted it over like I just could not deal anymore I just felt if it was you know cleaned out and taken out of me I could then start fresh. So I went in for a DNC the next day, and then I remember waking up and I just felt so fresh, like I felt like a new person, and that was that was really good. But I found after that miscarriage, I think I like I felt re- I fell really low. I remembered like like anyone would. I was just so paranoid about what, was I ovulating? Was it me? Did I cause this? Mm. And I gained so much weight, like I was the biggest I was in my whole life because I think I was just so sad. And, you know, with the loss of a baby, you always have that due date. And, you know, as that date came close and I thought, well, I would have been this X amount weeks pregnant. Oh, we would have been this far. And, you know, so it was really challenging. And then um, my a friend of mine had um, weight loss surgery and my mum, like, mentioned it to me. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, if we're going to try for another baby, I want to make sure that I'm in the best possible Physical, mental condition that I can be, because that way, if you know, we do have another loss, then I know it's not me. It's physically, it's not me. So I had um, I had a gastric sleeve done in the the following year. I think it was in March, and I ended up losing 35 kilos um, in four months, and then we fell pregnant. Mm. Um. <laughs> Funny how that happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> But again, I was so paranoid with losing this baby because of the previous one. I was going to see my local GP obstetrician every single week just so he could scan me and tell me everything would be okay. And how this ended up connecting into my VBAC journey was one of the mums I had met in the, in the Huggies group for our first sons, she had a VBAC and she used a um, private midwife. And so I just put it out in like in our group and she recommended this midwife to me. So I contacted her and I think I was about eight weeks pregnant as well. Gave her a call and I said, I really want to be back. Can we meet? And she came around and it was the most amazing connection. And yeah, so I was like, I'm going to go for this. Like I didn't know much about it, but I felt so much more supported in what I wanted to do. And I think I had a lot of I was afraid of the hospital system um, and I was afraid of obstetricians and I think there was a lot of trust issues in that as well. So the plan with her was that I wanted to deliver in a hospital just because I'd never labored before, just in case something went wrong and she would be my primary midwife it was a great pregnancy. Again, I only suffered with like headaches and like migraines and a little bit of nausea, but amazing pregnancy. She would come to my home. She would do all my appointments at home. You know, she'd be really good with my son who was about two and a half at the time. She referred me to all my scans and I didn't have to do the glucose tolerance test. (laughs)
2: So, um,
0: you know, and I learned a lot from her in terms of things were my choice. It was my choice to do things, not here's your form, go and do this one. You know, she's, you don't have to do it, Anna. And I thought, what do you mean? Like, even with the the GBS swap, she's like, you don't have to do it. I was like, but she's like, no, it's up to you. So that's the moment where I started learning, oh, like, we've got choices. Like, how many yeah. other women out there don't know that they have choices? So, yeah, she was really good in educating and empowering us, and I ended up doing a hypnobirthing online class as well. Yeah. Because, again, I wanted to make sure that mentally I was ready and I was prepared and I had so much motivation because I thought, in my mind, I was like, you wanted this, you've worked so hard for this, you know, don't let anything stand in your way. So that was my motivation to, like, against any intervention. I ended up going, I was 40 plus 8 and I was just so, and I thought, oh, my, like, oh, my goodness, I'm broken. I haven't, why haven't I gone into labour?
2: Everyone yeah. else
0: around me is going into labour. You know, is, is it me? Like, is there a reason? Did this happen again? Because I had, you know, my Caesar, does my body not know? So, I, I you know, I'd done everything. I'd done the stairs, I'd done the pineapple, I'd done the dates, I'd done everything, curries. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to try some acupuncture. So we went and had some acupuncture on the Friday evening. And that night I felt like crampy, but again, I'd never experienced contraction so I thought maybe I now know it was like prodromal labor because it lasted three days and it went like it'd peaked at 8 30 at night and it would just go on throughout the night and then fizzle off in the morning and then the next day you know I'd be fine but exhausted and then start again that evening I remember I even like rang my mum to come look after my son in case we were going to go but I just put on my hypnobirthing track Sat, you know, on the couch on the football and I was just like trying to get into this sign of, yeah, you know, everything that you go through in like a hypnobirthing class. The th- third night, the Sunday night happened and I woke up the Monday morning and I like rang my midwife and I said, like, you need to do something. I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, like, you need to help me. <laughs> and so She said, meet me at the hospital. Um, and I think I'd been booked in for like a growth and wellbeing ultrasound because at that stage I was forty plus eleven or forty one plus four, whatever. However you reckon. Mm-hmm. So I said, she said, meet me at the hospital a little bit earlier. I'll check you, see how you're going, and if we need to do a stretch and sweep, we can do one, um, and then we'll have your ultrasound. So I met her at the hospital, and she did a stretch and sweep, and I think she said it was about two centimeters, which I was like, oh, okay. Does that mean like I'm going to go into labour? Like what is my body doing? So she did a stretch and sweep, and we had an ultrasound. Um, and all was well and fine, and they estimated my son to be about 3.8 kilos. So, like, you know, there was no talks of big baby or anything like that. And then I remember my midwife said, like, go home, um, have a sleep and see how you go. And so I'd I'd started to sort of contract a bit more during the day after she'd done the stretch and sweep, Um, and I went home and had a little rest, and I remember waking up about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I just had, like, this onset of a it was so much stronger Mm. so I called my mum back again and I said like can you please just look after Um, my son he was going to turn three the next day and I'd kind of got into labour the day before so she was there in like preparation for his birthday because we were going to do a big thing for him and I'd started like labouring and I just sort of yeah sat in the football listened to tunes had a, a one of my mother's group friends came around bought some soup and like let my midwife know what was happening. And, um, yeah, like I had no idea when I should go to the hospital or I didn't, I, like I, I had no idea how long it would take for a first-time labourer um, or even, you know, if this was valid labour. So we just, yeah, plodded along at home. And I remember just like listening to my tracks. <laughs> and then I, so I like involuntary started humming with every contraction. My husband now tells me it was the most annoying thing ever. (laughs) But (laughs) I'd sort of started humming and then I said to my husband, like, I think it's, I feel safer if we go. And that was about eight o'clock. We rang the midwife, um, eight o'clock in the evening. And I said, like, I think we want to head in. We, You know, we just want your support. We, We want a bit more support in the hospital. So it was about a 45-minute drive to the hospital. Again, here's me with my headphones humming. My husband, one job he had to drive there and he missed the exit. Oh. And, <laughs> and uh, we got there, met the midwife up um, on birth suite. And it was funny because this was a pri—sorry, um, a public hospital. As soon as, like, I got into the birth suite, there was, like, the consultant o- um, guy, obstetrician was, like, hovering by the door. And she came in and she was like, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is such and such. And, you know, I understand yeah, you're going for a V back. And I just like looked at her and I was like, please leave. Mm. I was like, please leave. I said, you know, my midwife, I said, she's the only one I want in this room. I'm guided. And, you know, I trust her judgment. And if you have any concerns or questions, just go through her. And I said, I don't want anyone else to come in. I literally just want my midwife here and my husband and and I, I was like comfortable that if anything needed to happen, it would be it would come through my midwife. Mm-hmm. So she was really understanding, and she actually left, and I didn't see her again. And I think any consultation happened sort of outside of the room. But um, I settled into the room, and I had like my headphones playing because I was still a little bit weird about playing music out, you know, out in the public. Because it was I was listening to my hypnobirthing tracks, and I was still humming away. The midwife like asked if i wanted to do a a v like a ve and i thought like i was like yes okay but i also was so petrified that i'd only be like three centimeters and not in active labor so they'd send me home so she did it and i think she told me i was about five centimeters and i asked her I said, does that mean i'm gonna have my baby (laughs) she's she's like you're you're in labor you're going to have a baby so i just thought oh thank god like god happening my body's doing it and I got back onto the football and I found that was the best space for me to labor was just sitting on the football you know doing my thing everything that I'd learned in the hypnobirthing classes and I started using some gas and air just for a bit of support when I felt things were getting really intense and then it was like I remember saying to my midwife I was like I feel like I need something more like this is getting too much but in my head I was like you're not going to go for an epidural don't go for an epidural that's a cascade of intervention don't do it because I'd I'd already refused um like a CTG no CTG I didn't want a cannula um I wanted to be able to you know free movement I wanted to use the bath and all of that so in my head it was like you know you've got to manage this avoid that cascade of intervention and so my midwife she the saint she is um she's like do you want to use the bath and i was like yeah yeah, yeah. what is <laughs> so she filled the bath up for me i like i jumped into that bath and like I don't have a full concept of time because when you're in labor you feel like everything just goes really quick but for me it felt like I got into this bath with my gas and air and you know it was probably not long that my waters broke and then after that you know it's like the midwife had said to me she's like oh let me know if you start to feel any pressure and I was like I feel like I need to poop and she's like what <laughs> she's like um and she said it to my husband and I and she's like um Anna needs to get out of the bath, like she can't berth in the pool because there's a lot of paperwork involved with that. And so my, my my husband turns around, he's like, Anna, you need to get out of the pool, otherwise the midwife is going to lose her job. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. oh Farrah. Like, I
2: was
0: like, okay, okay. And I so like got out of the pool and I'd, like, I'd already started involuntary pushing. And I, yeah, I just couldn't help it. And I had my, like, my gas and air, all the pictures I have is me just, like, hanging on to this gas and <laughs> air and, like, trottled down back into the, the birth suite room and I had, like, a gown just draped over me. And then, yeah, I just, like, started pushing and I was, like, leaning over the bed, sort of, like, in a semi-squat. And I remember my midwife, she had the Doppler and she tried to put it on my tummy to listen in for the heart rate. And I just, I said to him, I'm like, he's not there because I could literally feel him descending. And so, yeah. And then the next minute, like, I just, like, I pushed him out. And I've got a, a photo of my face of like, I just, I'm like holding him in my hands, and I, this, like, I was bawling my eyes. And I'm like, I did, it. I'm like, I did it. And yeah, oh my god, it was the most amazing experience of my life. Uh, and I think that exact moment was there was a fire that was lit in my soul and I just, yeah, it's an, it's like an undescribable feeling. And I think so many, you know, successful VBAC mamas have felt that feeling because it's this fire has just, you know, it has changed my life for the last six and a half years. And then, yeah, it just continued to empower me onto, you know, I, I, it was funny he was born in May so he was actually born on the same day as his older brother so they share a birthday and and, um he was born in May and then in September of that year I applied for like uni entrance and I got accepted into (laughs) I don't do things in little things I do things big and so I um, applied to do uh a bachelor of nursing because I thought I want to do, I want to be a nurse and then I'm going to go into my midwifery because as a child, I'd always dreamed of being a midwife. Um, I'd always, you know, be playing dolls and being pregnant and I'd be the one that'd be like delivering the baby, but I never thought I was good enough to do it. I just thought it was a career that was completely out of my um, ability to do. And I wasn't good enough for that. I think it was a lot of self-esteem, but after this feedback, girl, I was unstoppable. (laughs) So I signed myself up to do uni and Sam was nine months old when I started my three-year full-time degree. It was crazy, crazy, but I got through the three years and then like COVID happened obviously and my husband tore his ACL and so he was home and I was finishing my uni degree. And, again, this is what I do. So when things come to an end, I think, well, what's the next project I can do? (laughs) And so I'd like, coming towards the end of my uni degree, my husband was off and I thought, let's have another baby. And we'd at the time we'd moved into this house that we'd been living in for about three years. And when we first moved into this house, our master bedroom was quite large and it had like a, where the bed wasn't, there was a space from the bed to the mirror. It was like so big. And I just walked into this house and I went, oh, I could have a home birth in here. And for three years, I'd be like, oh, can just imagine a birth pool being right here. <laughs> I never said it to my husband. But, yeah, we'd, we so we obviously ended up falling pregnant with our third baby. And at this point, like I still hadn't started my midwifery, but I'd finished my nursing. Um, and I was so invested in having a home birth. I'd done so much reading. I would joined, like, all the Facebook groups. And I and I knew like I knew that I successfully birthed a baby vaginally, and I had no complications. That why not? Why couldn't I have a home birth? I believed in myself. My husband believed in my in my ability. So when I fell pregnant with my third, I messaged my mid, the same private midwife that I'd had because we we kept in contact. You know, just every now and again, I messaged her literally after I peed on the stick, and <laughs> it was like. I'm pregnant. Will you be my midwife? And she's like, "Oh my god!" So we arranged for her to come over again. And I hadn't said anything to her about wanting a home birth, like because last time I'd had the the hospital birth. And she planted the seed after that birth because she was like, "You could easily do this at home." <laughs> and then I was like, mm, maybe. She came over and we were like doing all the stuff for the appointment stuff. She she said to me, "She's like, so you know, what are you planning for your delivery?" And I said, I'd really like to do a home birth. And she basically did a backflip in my kitchen. <laughs> she, was yeah. like, you know, she was like, Do you know what, Anna? She was like, I thought before I came to your appointment, or well, maybe Anna will want a home birth. So I didn't pack any of the hospital paperwork. And I was like, Yes, absolutely. I want a home birth. I said, Let me show you my space. So meanwhile, I'm like, you know, five weeks pregnant. Yeah. And I mean, after she planted that seed, and I thought, well, I can, home birth. Well, you know, I did receive a lot of, you know, kickback from family or people that were like, you know, it's dangerous and all this other stuff. But I found that if I was quite strict with blocking out the negative energy and I wasn't letting that affect me, I just, I went with it. And so when we did fall pregnant, I mentioned to my husband, and I said, you know, I'm thinking we'll have home birth. And he was a little bit, you know, weary to start with, but I said, look, take a moment, let's chat to the midwife. She will give you her, you know, evidence-based stuff. And she talked talked to him about it and he was on board, 100% on board. I think he just wanted to know what the backup plans were, like are there backup plans? And, yeah, once she clarified what actually happens in a home birth, there's plans in place which I don't think he knew, which I think it's probably the case for a lot of people who think of home birthing is that you were just you know reckless and there's nothing put in place but there's actually nine months worth of thoughts and plans put into place for the up for a home birth and you know I won't lie and say that I wasn't worried about complications like I remember the one thing I was concerned about was a shoulder dystocia don't ask me why I have no idea but that was the one thing I was concerned of I was you know weary I understood like the maneuvers that needed to happen but I just thought I couldn't let this fear overcome me. We could work through it. And we did. So it was just, I think, education. And, yeah, the the six months after I had Sam, I was like, I'm going to have another baby and it's going to be a home birth.
2: (laughs) Oh, that's so lovely.
0: (laughs) The home birth journey was, it was just so amazing because she took care, you know, of everything from the get-go. I didn't need to see a GP for anything, so there was no no judgment from, you know, any doctors or anyone else that, oh, you're going to have, you know, all the risks. Then I was aware of the risks and I'd done so much reading and understanding of it. And because it had been nearly four years since we'd had my last one, I thought, oh, I really wanted to um, just sort of brush up on my hypnobirthing skills because I, I knew this time around I had no choice. You know, there was no no gas and there was no epidural. Basically, I would be doing this myself so I started manifesting like to have a fast labor (laughs) I was like please if there's anything just let me let it be fast and let it just be over and done with really fast I started eating about four to six dates a day because I just wanted it to go fast and what happened I set up like we had all the birth space ready and my last so Sam had come at 41 plus 5 and it was like 41 plus 1, I was still pregnant. 41 plus 2, I was still pregnant. Meanwhile, I'd been doing acupuncture since 36 weeks, thinking I could like bring on labor naturally earlier. 41 plus 3, 41 plus 4. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I was reaching that point of you know mental breakdown again. I was pulling my eyes out. And I had done all the hypnobirthing, you know, release traps and I knew that there would be an emotional shift before labour could, so I was having baths and everything. But I was like, why is it me that has to be 41 plus 5? Like, well, why can't it be the 37-weeker or something like that? Ooh. So, you know, impatient as I was. And I'd had a um, appointment with my midwife scheduled for the 41 plus 5 date, and she came over and she asked if I wanted to stretch and sweep again. And I said, yeah, can you please do a stretch this week? She came over at um, 1.30 in the afternoon, did the stretch and sweep. And so she lived about maybe an hour and 10 minutes north from where we were. So at this time, she was going to be facing a lot of traffic sort of heading north. But she said, you know, have a sleep. I, you know, I'm confident things probably won't kick off till later this evening because I'd delivered my last baby overnight. So I thought, perfect. That's fine. So I had a little rest. She was going to go home and then I I was laying in bed till about 3 o'clock and I just started getting niggles and I thought, oh, like maybe, maybe. So I got up and I started making dinner for the boys in the kitchen. I was like putting on this chicken noodle soup in the Thermomix and like reaching up for spices and I'd have to like stand and lean over the kitchen bench and breathe through a couple of contractions. Thinking, now, there's no way, it's too early, no way. So I did that for about half an hour and it was about four o'clock where I literally had to stop and say to my husband, you need to take her, I need to go to the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And so I went into the bedroom and I sat on the football and I started timing these contractions and they were coming like two minutely and lasting about a minute. So I thought, okay, like so took a screenshot of the three or four that I'd timed and I sent them to my midwife and I said, oh, like, I think they've started. Um, look, I, I think it's probably early. Like, let's not stress. So then she rang me and I, I couldn't talk between these contractions. Like, I almost started, <laughs> I almost started, like, like not grunting, but I was, like, you know, they were getting intense. So she spoke to my husband and she was, like, um, I'm going to have a quick shower and then I'm going to make my way down. She's, like, you need to start getting the birth pool ready. And so my husband's like, should I get it ready? I'm like, it's probably too early. The water's going to get cold, but all right, let's do it. So I'd like hobbled to the toilet and I could barely even walk because the contractions were always right in like my hip flexes and did my wee and he was the babe that he was sorting out the birth pool and getting the hose and filling it up like full hot, full hot water because we thought we'll have plenty of time, it'll cool down. <laughs> so- it was filling, and I remember coming out of the toilet, and I like went. I thought I've always wanted to try labouring on my knees, leaning over a football, and I thought, well, I've seen people do that. That looks like fun, and I tried it. And my midwife called again just to touch base, and my husband answered, it and I like let out the biggest groan ever, and she's like, Josh, she's like, I'm not going to make it. And she's like. <laughs> So I got up from that position and I said to my husband, I need to get in the bath. The water was, I think he tested it and the water was nearly like 40 degrees or something. <laughs> but, look, it felt amazing when I got in. And so I got in and I think he was still on the phone to her. I can't quite remember what exactly what they were doing, but I just remember being in the bath. And I actually have no idea when my waters broke. So I, there was, you know, there was no pop or anything like that, but I just remember it wasn't a lot of contractions and I just felt like I was involuntary pushing and bearing down again. I remember just feeling like this shift inside and yeah and then obviously his head was born and I just like like it was that ring of fire scream and then his head was born and I remember reaching down and I put my hand like over the top of his head and his like little eyebrows moved yeah, I sort of just like composed myself again. I've got a little video of it. My husband, it was amazing because he took a video. So I've got a video of this delivery. It's the most amazing thing. Yeah, like it was so composed and then the contraction came again and then he was just delivered in one push and he was like born in the water um, and we like lifted him up, just cried straight away and then it took about 20 minutes after his delivery that our midwife and our photographer came. <laughs> Meanwhile, wife my me and we were just like chilling in the bath and as soon as Blake was born my husband was screaming out to the older boys he's like your baby brother's born baby brother's born so Aww. they came running in and yeah it was such a sweet moment and leading up to that home birth I got every single like kids appropriate home birth book like the, I think there's about three or four out there and we would read them as like nightly readers and I'd educated them about birth and what to expect and the noises mummy would make and where baby would come from so they were super prepared and yeah they like they didn't see the birth side of things but they would come in you know every now and again in between playing xbox and be like why is mummy screaming Mm -hmm. or are you okay mum and then when um, baby brother was born they came out and they were just so excited and it was yeah it was the best experience i would do it again
2: That's so beautiful. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, very lucky. So, And I just thought after that so many women need to be empowered about their choices and, you know, it's not just uh, everyone goes for one. Like I understand it suits some people and, you know, their needs, But, you know, for the women that I've seen, like I'm doing my midwifery in a private model now in a private hospital. And I see, you know, some women that come in wanting to attempt VBACs. And, you know, whilst, you know, the obstetricians we have in our hospital are so supportive, sometimes I just think would there have been better options? Obviously, it's different for everyone's circumstances. I understand that. Yeah, I just know for myself and my own journey, had I not been supported by my private midwife, there's absolutely no way I would have had a VBAC.
1: I think that's a really big factor that I see with a lot of the women I support as well, is that it's actually the birth team and the care provider and their philosophy that can have a really big impact. It's possibly the most important decision you're going to make if you're planning a VBAC. It sounds like, yeah, your midwife was just beautifully aligned with you.
0: Oh, she was just the most amazing. And yeah, like I recommend her to everyone. V-back or no V-back, you need to have a private midwife. I'm like literally no other model of care I think meets up to the standards a private midwife can offer. And I understand, you know, it's an expense, but I feel that expense that I paid saved me thousands and thousands in therapy and potential, you know, rehab. If I had gone down, you know, a, a repeat season or something like that. So yeah, it's been a pretty crazy journey. Even after I'd had my two VBACs, I thought, oh, my heart was healed. Like I thought, yeah, I'm great. But when I was doing one of my uni assignments, I was working at the hospital that I'd had my Caesar at. And I was just talking to one of the midwives there. And I mentioned this obstetrician's name. And she goes, oh, she goes, do you know that he passed away? And I thought, what do you mean? Like he, apparently he got quite ill and he'd passed away recently. And I thought, oh wow. And then the next day after they told me that part of like the midwifery degree was we have to follow like 10 women. And one of the women I was following, she had an obstetrician was in like these rooms and I'd forgotten what room my obstetrician was in. But as I was going to her appointment, I was walking down this corridor and I was like, I was getting flashbacks and I just thought, oh my goodness, like, is this where his rooms were? And I remember walking into the room and I saw the reception. I thought, I don't know, I was just so overcome with, like, fear. My heart started pumping so fast. And then I remember we went into the room of her obstetrician and the desk was set up in the exact same way that he had had it and the pictures were the same. And I just felt like I'd walked in to, like, me nine years ago Mm. and I just, like, my breath was taken away and I've gone, oh, my gosh, like... I didn't know that I still had that trauma, you know, inside of me and that anger against him and and what he had done because after I had recorded my birth story with another platform, I didn't mention who he was or, you know, any of that sort of stuff. But I'd I'd had women reach out to me on Instagram saying, was it this obstetrician at this hospital? And I would say, oh, my gosh, yes. And they'd say, well, he did the same to me. So I thought, oh. Like that is, it's a horrible, horrible thing to happen. But I also feel that who I am and where I am today, you know, has has come as a result of it. But I think I'm now standing proud in a position where, you know, I took control of my body, I took control of my choices and I took control of my future. So I can now support women you know, who, who may have been in the same situation as me or I could prevent women from being in the same situation as me. But just to empower them because one of the things that led me to go on this journey was I felt so incredibly empowered after I had my VBAC that I thought oh, I want to make other people feel like this. Like I said, if I can feel like this, everyone else needs to feel like this. And that has been my driving force. I am so blessed in an opportunity now that I get to support women in labors or even postnatally and antenatally. But I'm like, it's that empowerment. If I get to empower them, just, you know, one little choice, maybe I'll be that different that makes their journey a little bit different. So, yeah, I feel from something so negative and hurtful, something really positive has come out.
2: Mm. So I
0: feel incredibly blessed.
2: I can definitely relate to that as well. (laughs) Yeah. I think Amy probably too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, it's beautiful that you feel blessed, but you would be a blessing to all of those women that you do get the opportunity to support as well. And whether it's a matter of having a lot to do with their journey, or literally just one conversation early on in their pregnancy, like it can completely change the course of what that journey looks like. You might plant a seed that just blossoms into something completely different. Yeah. I've seen women do this where they're like, yeah, I'm, they reach out and they say, I'm I'm planning a home birth or I want to have a home birth. A a midwife at the hospital suggested that maybe I should look into a private midwife. And it's like,
0: (laughs) oh my gosh,
1: like one conversation
0: yeah it's unreal completely unreal and and I say that every day I think it's that the thing I don't like to be in like the spotlight necessarily so you know for people like it's because of you I had this experience I'm like well, oh, not really it was all you I'm just like I'm just just doing my job and my passion for my life so it is all you like I want you to feel that empowerment because it's it's you I'm just there to
2: support you nice I wanted to ask you, Anna, about your postpartum journeys. Did you notice yeah. a difference in how you experienced postpartum? And because you mentioned you had a bit of challenge breastfeeding your first. Yeah. And so oh, how absolutely. did that differ in your feedback experiences?
0: So with my first one, we I only breastfed him, breastfed him for six months. And we struggled a lot with sleep because no one tells you your babies don't sleep. Like they don't you know there's no manual and I remember he was about eight weeks old and I was sitting on the edge of my bed and I was looking at him and I was going like what do I do with you what do I do with you and I was really lucky that I got a spot in um Nagala which I think in other states like Tresillion or something like that but Nagala I had like a day stay and they taught me all about settling and routines and that sort of stuff which helped but come my V back I'd been so traumatized by that newborn stage that I was fearful of an of the newborn that when he wasn't sleeping and you know everyone drills into you about safe sleeping and sleeping on your back and don't co-sleep and swallow and you know so I was still very much trying to settle him and put him back into the thing that I was very um still quite nervous and tense, and I would break down crying because he'd wake up 30 seconds after I put him down. So the second postnatal journey, it was a, a little bit, it was better. Like I still struggled with the newborn stage, but our breastfeeding journey was incredible. I breastfed him until he was 16 months old. Like he was such a good feeder. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I only stopped because I had to go out on placement for nursing and, you know, I was going to go away. But third time around and probably that third child syndrome, you're just so <laughs> casual and you don't have time to care for things. We co-slept with him from day dot and I would just feed him in bed and roll over feed him in bed and roll over and you know what it was the best journey because I would get up in the morning I would sit on the couch with him and I would feed him all day we'd nap together feed him all day you know my husband was really supportive that he would make meals and you know care for the older kids and I just felt so relaxed like and I embraced it so much more because I, I mean my recovery was phenomenal I was up and checking my doors were locked straight after my home birth because it was late at night. You know, that whole journey was so much better and with experience. And I breastfed him for twenty two months. And yeah, and I mean now, like he's he's two and a half and he's got severe separation anxiety. But even when he wakes up at night now, like I've secretly been stealing him back into bed. And it just reminds me of his newborn days when I think, oh, we used to just snuggle and breastfeed. And I remember waking up in the morning going, like, I feel the most refreshed and rested I have in my whole life. You know, I understand safe sleeping is really important and we did make it safe, but the co-sleeping aspect worked for us. And, again, like, I wish I didn't have that paranoia in that first, first pregnancy because I would have nightmares that I'd left him on the change table. Mm-hmm. Or I would jump out of you know, bed and think it wasn't in the bassinet. But, yeah, it was just that connection, I think, or that being able to relax a little bit with experience but also just to, yeah, support women to do what works best for you because what I did was what we were told to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think, you know, with subsequent babies, like I, I often talk about I got lazier with my parenting, but in some ways it's actually... This really beautiful thing because it becomes very intuitive and instinctual and you know like you know what feels right for that particular baby and you know how to keep them safe like you are their best advocate actually
0: yeah oh absolutely we yeah it was it was the best postpartum journey I remember mums at school pickup would be like you look so well slept and relaxed <laughs> I'm like I am yes. I'm sleeping You know, three hours I just roll over, I get another three hours and then I get another three hours. Perfect. I'm not up and settling and shushing a baby. I'm literally just rolling over and feeding and I had the best milk supply ever. Yeah, the best. And I think because I'd had an amazing home birth as well, like, all, yeah, there was all these amazing hormones flowing about my house. Every time I woke up I saw the birth space, so I was really happy.
2: So beautiful. Wow. Well. I might ask you the closing questions then. How are you feeling now? I feel amazing. I,
0: like every day that I go to work and I know that my job is going to be in the maternity system, I know that every day I have a chance to empower someone. So I'm so grateful for my journey and every aspect of my journey because it has put me where I am today and I have the opportunity to change women's life. So the, like I get to do this as a job.
2: Who gets to say that, yeah. right? Yeah. I hear that. I really do. <laughs> Can you tell us, I think you've probably touched on this in your in your stories, but to summarise for us what you think made the difference with these births, like why you think you had the VBACs or what you feel made it, made it feel different or more empowered, et cetera. I
0: think the thing that made the difference was just the the model of care that I chose and the support and the encouragement that I received from my model of care. I know there's not a lot of education out there for women about the models of care. So I think, yeah, ultimately if I had known at the very beginning this journey would be very different. So, yeah, I was fortunate that I was able to, you know, come across a private midwife and that was the turning point for this whole journey and wouldn't have it any other way. I yeah. love that
1: you touched on private midwifery in the hospital setting as well, because I think that's something that a lot of women don't realise is an option, that you can have a private midwife, you can have your own care provider and birth in the hospital, if that's what you want.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not always just home birth. It can be in a supported controlled environment where you've got that continuity of carer and someone to advocate for you the whole time.
2: Yeah. Well, our last closing question is about whether your planned feedbacks changed things for you, which I think it's pretty clear that they (laughs) did. did in terms of putting you on a totally new career trajectory.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally changed my life from the moment Sam came out. I was working in real estate before that and I was just literally my thought was like let's have another baby so I don't have to go back to work whereas when I had Sam I was like I want to work this is what I want to do like yeah there's that fire that fire in your soul that is lit up would I have any more babies probably not but I think (laughs) I think that's just you know a management side of things and a financial side of things I would love to have all the children in the world if I won lotto but I also understand that I've been incredibly blessed with the three birth experiences that I have. And I don't know what would be in the future, but my three experiences are so different that I can use each one to empower and create a connection with another woman and help her journey be, you know, as amazing as what I was.
1: So, yeah, very last question. What would you go back and tell your pre-VBAC self and what would you like to impart on other women that are planning a VBAC?
0: Uh, What would I tell 22-year-old Anna? I would tell her to research her models of pregnancy care and that your status in life isn't dependent on what everyone else does. You know, try to just believe in your own values and your own beliefs And yeah, listen and do the research. And yeah, absolutely. What I would tell any other woman that was looking to go down the VBAC pathway is to do your research, empower yourself, find a supportive network, reach out. You know, it may not be a private midwife, but it might be an MGP model or something, but find a model. Of care that works for you and your family and supports your values and beliefs because ultimately it's your experience and it's you know this is your birth you want everyone to support your beliefs yeah so that's what I would say perfect
2: yeah. I love thank it. you so much thank you so much it was a real pleasure to hear your stories and how it's just completely changed everything oh, for you and yeah it's yeah. your passion is so clear like yeah can you tell <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: thank you for listening to australian vback stories please help us grow our community and rate review and subscribe so more stories can be shared
2: if this episode has brought up difficult or distressing feelings for you please know there are resources that can help additionally If you've experienced mistreatment or disrespectful
1: care and want to know what options are available to you, there are organisations that can
0: support you. You can find these details listed in the show notes. Until next time, you've been listening to Australian VBAC Stories.